0: And so uh, this evening we bring to a close this little series that we have been looking at, these three kings. And I've really appreciated looking into this psalm and beginning to see exactly what it contains. We know it's a, a psalm which starts off with uh, tremendous words um, when, you, uh, when you read it. And uh, <clears throat> we know that words are important Uh, We know that our words are important. We know that it is with our tongue that we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So we recognize that there is an importance. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. um, Who have set your glories above the heavens. And then notice, and we'll refer to this a little bit later, the way that the psalm comes to an end. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So he begins... Uh, with tremendously exciting words and finishes the same. So far we have learned that God the Father created us to be kings. Uh, we understand very clearly that this was the intention of God's creation. We were made in the image of God. We were made to reign. We were made to be kings And God had appointed Adam to be king. And we're told in the scriptures, and if you can remember back to last week, we looked there in uh, um, uh, Genesis chapter 1, I think verse 26, that we are made in the image of God, that we have dominion over his creation. That was the plan. That was how it was to be. But Adam failed. He sinned. And he sinned for the very reason that many people today live however they want to in their life. Because he wanted to have a higher position. He wanted to have a higher place. He wanted to be as God. And whilst we may not admit it, but as we begin to look even in our own lives, but those around us, we discover that there is still this desire to put ourselves above God, to put ourselves at least above everybody else. He wanted to be like God And we've also learned as we looked last week, that God, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, redeemed us to be kings. King Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. This is what he came into the world to do. And so the first question that is posed in the New Testament is, where is he that is born king? And so so this evening, uh, we see that God, the Holy Spirit, anoints us to be kings. When you're saved, when you become a believer, when you put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 17, what is it that we do in life? I'm hoping someone might have remembered. We've quoted it both morning and evening for the last couple of weeks. We reign in life. We reign in life. Now, when a king or a queen is anointed um, to be king or queen in, uh, in England, um, the archbishop of the Church of England does something very special. He will come to the, um, the, 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 the person who is to be crowned, who is to be reigning, and he takes oil and he anoints the person just here on the chest. And he anoints them with a cross and he says uh, something to the effect that it is with this oil that we anoint you to be king or to be queen. And in the scriptures we discover that the Holy Spirit is referred to often as oil. We know that in the desert when the children of Israel were wandering around because of A sin that kept coming into their hearts and lives. They were given the manna. And we're told that this manna would appear each morning. And there it was lying on the ground. And all they had to do was to go out and collect enough for that day. Except of course for the Sabbath where they would be able to collect a double portion. And we're told that the manna tasted of honey and oil. And I believe that in the manna we see a picture of the Holy Spirit very clearly coming into the lives of. Of these people, and if you're able to join us in a, uh, a couple of weeks uh, on June the fifth, we begin to look very much at the coming in um, of the the Holy Spirit uh, at uh, at Pentecost because it's Pentecost Sunday, and it just so happens that as we've been working through the Acts of the Apostles into chapter one, we move through into chapter two on that particular Sunday, God willing. And so this evening, I want us to see. That God the Holy Spirit anoints us to be kings. But this requires that we know God. It requires that we come to Him. It requires that we put ourselves in the position where He is able to do this to us. When you're saved, when you're placed, and your hope and your trust, or you've placed your hope and your trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives you the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit of God is in control of your life, we are able to do what Romans 5 verse 17 says that we should do. The commandment that is given, to reign in life. When we can start to reign as kings... We can do that now through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for the millennium. We can reign in Christ from the moment we come to faith in Him as Lord and Savior. We don't wait, nor do we want to wait. We start reigning now. Romans 5.17 says that you and I as Christians, as believers today, can reign in life through Jesus Christ. And now this evening we want to just clarify how it is that this happens. How do we reign? Well the answer is by the power of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Sometimes we can get confused. Sometimes we can think to ourselves that the Christian life is simply a change of behavior. In other words, if we're prepared to perhaps try and be nice people, if we change our behavior, if we do things in a certain way, if we look the part, if we say the right things, if we stop saying the wrong things, then it's all going to be okay. But it's not. Because that is not what the Christian life is all about. Yes, we should try. We should endeavor to do what we can. But you see, we don't have to try hard once the anointing of the Holy Spirit has taken place within us. Because all of a sudden, everything changes. This miracle takes place. It's almost impossible to explain these things. But this miracle happens and suddenly, The things of this world grow strangely dim. And suddenly, the brightness of our relationship with God becomes the all consuming thing in our hearts and in our lives. And instead of having to try and change, we just change. Because no longer are we happy with the way that we used to live, no longer are we happy with the things that we used to do. And all of a sudden, we thought to ourselves, you know, the life that we were trying to live, I had everything. I could do whatever I wanted. I didn't have to think what it was that God had in store for me. I could do that. And then suddenly we realize that all that was pathetic. Because now instead of us trying to do the things that we want to do and so on. Suddenly we no longer have that need. Because everything that we need is given to us. And we have the strength to be able to walk a life. Which is worthy of the calling that we have in Jesus Christ. And no longer do we find... That we are controlled by the power of this world because the Holy Spirit comes in and nudges us and helps us to live the life that we should have and to reign in Him. The Holy Spirit of God enables us to reign over sin. You cannot reign over sin in your own strength. But so many people try. You don't need me to tell you that. Some of you have been trying for decades Some of the people we meet in our families, we know who they are. And for decades, they have tried to live a life that they thought was good enough, and they have done it in their own strength. And perhaps that's the position that you find yourself in this evening. You've been trying to deal with your sin, you've swept it under the carpet, you've hidden it, you've tried to cover it, and you've tried so hard. In fact, you're tired of trying. You're trying to tame it. You're trying to get rid of it. But however hard you try, you just cannot do it. Every morning you wake up and you think to yourself the very first thing before anything else comes into your mind here we go again. Another day of trying. Another day of trying to be the person that I know I need to be, but I just can't be because however hard I try, I just can't do it. As the Apostle Paul said, the things he didn't want to do, he did. The things he wanted to do, he couldn't do. The same problems, the same pains, the same fears that you had yesterday. You open your eyes and there it is, sin crouching, ready to pounce on you and ready to devour you. Just as it did the day before and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. Oh, you've tried so hard to crush it and to be free from your sin. And people come and they talk to you about freedom in Christ. And you think to yourself, wow, if only I could have that. But what is it? How can I have it? Where is it coming from? Why doesn't Jesus Christ ever want to come in and bring freedom to me? But he does. You're trapped by it. You don't want to be but you are. You're trapped. Your feet are heavy. You can't run. You've got no direction to go. You want freedom. Not bondage. But it is bondage yet again. That tightens its grip. On you. That chokes you. But Romans 6 tells us. Sin. Shall not have dominion over us. It goes on and it says, You shall have dominion over sin. And you're thinking to yourself, The Bible's got to be wrong. Because I've tried. And it just doesn't work. How can this be? Everything I have tried has failed, and here I am caught again in the trap of my sin and you know what it gets harder and it gets worse every day you've become used to sin you're hooked on it well you'll never get out of the trap The repeating, never-ending circle of sin and guilt and rejection and failure and sin and guilt and rejection and failure. And it keeps on going round and round in your life. And if only you could just jump out of that circle. But you can't on your own. However hard you try, you will fail. Because it is only the Holy Spirit of God that enables us to take the scepter of faith. And the promises of God. And enables us to defeat sin so that we can reign with Christ in our life. Now some of you perhaps look at me somewhat skeptically. And you say, I've heard it all before. Perhaps you're not even interested because you've given up trying. You just don't want to venture. Why are you here? What brought you along this evening? You say to yourself, I just don't believe it. I've tried, nothing happens. God's not interested in me. He doesn't talk to me. I never hear him speaking to me. Other people say God speaks to them as clear as a bell ringing. But he doesn't talk to me. And that's where you're wrong. He does because he speaks in his word. And we've read it this evening. And it's God speaking to us. And it's not just his word that he speaks to us. He speaks to us through other people. People who come, people who stand up and speak in churches, a friend who comes along and talks to you and says, I want you to know that I know Jesus. That he saved me. And he can save you. And so this evening we meet king number three. Adam was king number one. God the Father created us to be kings. Jesus is king number two. God the Son redeemed us that we might be kings. And David is king number three. Now, where does this come from? Well, Psalm 8 was written by David. And David is in effect saying, God the Holy Spirit, the anointing power of God, anointed us to be kings. Now, if we go back to uh, Psalm 8, and as we do, uh, we have to have just a brief lesson on the Hebrew hymn book. I just desperately want you all to stay awake at this particular point because it's important that uh, we see this. You see that uh, our hymnals here, and you will have noticed them uh, in, our, in, our, in the pews in, that you have in front of you. And you'll notice that at the bottom of them, and I think Pete helped us by saying the tune that we're going to sing one of the hymns to isn't the tune that's in the book. Okay, well of course the Hebrew hymn book, which is the book of Psalms, has tunes written to it as well. We may not have understood all of them. If you look at uh, 267, Don't Do It Now, in our green books, it says, Come Thou Almighty King. And at the bottom, it says the tune is the Italian hymn. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what the Italian hymn is? Well, that's the tune that you play. Uh, it's 562, Rejoice Ye Pure in Heart. And it's the tune to Marion. I wonder who Marian was. But that was the tune that was written. 233, which we sang earlier, Hallelujah, Sing to Jesus. We sang to the tune... Hyfridol Now do you know where that comes from? It's a Welsh tune. Anything with an H-Y in front is often a Welsh tune. And it's a famous Welsh tune. And there are a number of hymns, I think six or seven in our hymn book, that are sung to that particular tune. You see, just as we have different tunes in our hymn book, so did Israel in the Psalms. There are different tunes in the Hebrew hymn book. For example, if we read at the beginning of Psalm 9, we read these words. To the chief musician, to the tune of death to the sun, a psalm of David. Uh, it depends which uh, translation you have as to whether it's exactly that. I think in the New King James Version, it is exactly, there, yes, to the chief musician, to the tune of death of the sun, a psalm of David. Now the title, uh, that little Hebrew title there, or statement if you like, can and would be more accurately translated the death of the champion. Now, what's all this got to do with it? Because we're looking at Psalm 9. Well, believe it or not, there's a problem that when the English translators took the headings at the beginning and the ends of the Psalms, unfortunately, they were shifted forward. So we discover that the beginning of Psalm 9 really should be the conclusion of Psalm 8. So as I say, don't drift off when we're nearly at the end of this explanation. But the musical direction is at the end of the psalm. And as I say, tragically, the translators pushed it all forward one. But when you look at uh, the Hebrew um, uh, Bible, you discover that they're in the right place. You see, this little statement at the beginning of Psalm 9, to the chief musician upon the death of the champion, belongs to Psalm 8. You say, what difference does any of this make? Listen. Psalm 8 was written to commemorate the death of the champion. And we know who the champion was that David killed. It was Goliath. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to uh, 1 uh, Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 chapter 17. What I need you to do is to keep one finger in Psalm 8 and the other finger in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the description of the slaying of Goliath and those of us who grew up in church would have gone to Sunday school and we would know the story very well indeed. The Philistines are on one side and the Jews are on the other side and Goliath is there in the middle. And verse 4 of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17 says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, he had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, I'm suggesting that 5,000 shekels of bronze is a heavy weight and I probably wouldn't be able to even pick it up let alone wear it and, uh, and fight and so on. We then discover that he had a bronze armor on his legs, bronze javelin uh, between his shoulders and uh, we see quite a lot of other details about him the scriptures in fact are very very detailed here and a champion went out from the camp of the philistines named goliath and we have all his dimensions we know how big and strong and scary and frightening he was and for 40 days this loud mouth came out and he shook his fists at the armies of israel and he said if you've got anyone over there send them to fight me so he was obviously very confident in his strength If you've got anybody, send them over to fight me. Now keep your finger in 1 Samuel 17 and go back to Psalm 8, verse 2. And we read this Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. What a contrast that we see between the two. Here comes little David, a 16 year old boy. Is there anybody who's 16 here? Uh, this evening we we won't highlight it at all but listen you know this guy he's not you know he's got a lot of growing still to do and he hasn't got a spear he hasn't got a sword he hasn't got armor and he comes out with a slingshot and five stones and Goliath looked at him and said who's writing the script here you send a kid out to me You send a a youngster, it's an insult. But out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, God ordained strength. Because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. For 40 days, this giant shouts his mouth off, accusing the people of God, and finally, David comes out and says, I'm going to shut this guy's mouth. You know, no one else is going to do it. I'm going to do it. Well, back in 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, they said to David, you're a youth. And then look at verse 44. The Philistine says to David, come to me and I'll give you flesh to the birds. The birds of the air and the beasts of the field. What did David write in Psalm 8? Turn back to Psalm 8. And you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. David says to him, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, verse 45, in the name of the Lord of hosts. And then at the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Do you see the point? David comes out and faces Goliath. He takes a stone and he throws the stone. And it stuns the giant. And then he goes and he takes the sword. And with all his strength he lifts it up. And slices the giant's head off. And then that night. David slips out of the camp. He's a shepherd boy remember. And he goes out on the hill. And he looks up to the heavens. And he says, oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Here I am, just a kid, a babe, a suckling. And yet you give me strength and I silence the enemy. He looks up at the stars and he says, when I consider the heavens and all that's up there, who am I? Who am I that you pay attention to me? Why have you visited me, O Lord? I know why. You made me to be a king. And you saved me to be a king. And you crowned me to be a king. You see, sometime before this event, God had put his hand on David. God had anointed David with power. And when nobody was watching, David killed a bear. And when nobody was watching, David killed a lion, he didn't tell anyone about it. He didn't send a news release, he just kept quiet. You see, David is saying to us, God anointed us to be kings. Now look what makes a man a king today. Just take even our little town. There's been quite a lot being talked about flags recently. And we're not here to talk about those except there are positions, there are people who make decisions for us without really talking to the rest of us. There are those that are bigger than us. They have positions of authority. They're above us. Perhaps if you have money. If you're big, metaphorically speaking, yes, size has a lot to do with it. If you're big and if you're important. David was just a teenager. And I don't mean to refer that teenagers are anything less to be concerned with. If you're strong, you're important, David is just a teenager. What did David have against a giant? Well, you may not have strength and you may not have size. How about status? If you've got status, you can do anything today. Elon Musk and do whatever he wants, it seems. David, did he have status? No, he was a shepherd boy. David had everything against him. He didn't have size, he didn't have strength, he didn't have status. But you know what? He did have the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You know, we make all kinds of excuses as to why we're failing. If only I had a better job. If only I had different friends. You should see the friends I've got. I want better friends than the ones I have. If only I, hadn't have, if I didn't have this problem in my life. If only I had this in my life. We make all kinds of excuses as to why we're failing. Because everybody faces some kind of Goliath in their life tomorrow morning as you're lying in bed waiting for the alarm clock to go off. That's if you're not a teenager, of course. (laughs) And some of you folks will go off to work or to whatever it is that you face, the office, the schoolroom, the lecture hall, the factory. And there's a giant that you know you're going to face. Some loud mouthed individual who will oppress you. (laughs) Maybe you come home at the end of the day and you're going to face some loud mouthed individual who's going to oppress you. (laughs) What do you do about it? Well, perhaps you'll do what Saul and his army did. We sit there and we say, Nothing can be done. No hope. Nothing can be done. And along comes a little boy, a little David. And the secret of David's strength is found in the first and last verses of Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Friends, when you and I are yielded to the lordship of the Holy Spirit of God, we can face the giant by faith and slay him. When you think of the church of Jesus Christ and the number of times that people have said it can't be done, And friends, whenever I say it can't be done, I'm not reigning in my life. When I say this problem is too big for me, I'm not reigning in my life, nor are you. I'm giving in to Goliath. And David looks at me and says, look, you were anointed to be king when the Spirit of God came into you. That's the spirit of kingship. Now, go back to that job and face that problem and get your hands in God's hand and by faith do it. You know, there are three kinds of people in every church. Uh, Those who make things happen. There's not enough of them. Those who watch things happen. There's too many of them. And those who don't know anything's happening at all. There's too many of those as well. And maybe we could say there's a fourth kind. Those who try and stop things happening. But you came to church this evening facing a real problem. A Goliath of a problem. But the Father created you to be a king. God the Son redeemed you to be a king. And God the Holy Spirit anointed you to be king. Now go out and face that Goliath. And by faith in the Lord Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, win. It might be in your family. It doesn't matter where it is. That's how the early church did it. That's how men and women down through the ages have done it. Oh Lord, my Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Why did David defeat Goliath? To the glory of God, not for the glory of David. And so there's the secret. The Lordship of God. The glory of God. Surrendered to his Lordship. Allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us. And to use us. And we face these problems. The lions, the bears, the giants. And by faith we whip them. That's what Romans 5 verse 17 calls reigning in life. So tomorrow morning when you wake up. Turn yourself over to the Lord. He's the God of creation. But he's the God of salvation. And he's the God of your everyday problem. Just let him come into your heart and life. Give yourself to him and say, Lord, I want your name to be glorified through my life today. Pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Go out and face the enemy. And by faith, you will reign in life. Now we have to close at this particular point. But I could introduce you to people in our fellowship. Who could come up and stand up here. Who would tell you. From personal experience. What God has done in their life. To hear the testimony of somebody. Who has seen God at work in their hearts and lives. Is the most exciting thing that we can ever do. To hear something personal. From somebody who is prepared to stand up and say. Yes. Through the Holy Spirit, I am able to reign in life. It's worked for older people. It's worked for younger people. It's worked for middle-aged people. It's worked for office workers and for students and for missionaries. It works. It's not theory. It works. If you remember last week when we spoke about some of the different characters that we could have read books at at the library. You see, I'm not an economic factor, Mr. Marx. Sorry. I'm not a frustrated child, Mr. Freud. Sorry. And Mr. Darwin, I'm not an evolving animal. I'm made in the image of God. In Jesus Christ, I am king. And we too easily forget this. I am a king because my father created me to be a king. And my savior died for me to be a king. And the Holy Spirit lives in me that I may reign in life through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. I pray that we might live this truth day by day. Forgive us when we have allowed sin to have dominion in our lives. When we have made stupid choices. When we have chosen to turn our back upon you. And to walk in our own strength. To try and climb mountains in our lives in our own strength. Mountains that we cannot even see the top of that brashly and boldly and foolishly we have struck out and then we have found ourselves exposed and in dire straits all around us sin is reigning and death is reigning and yet thank you God that your grace is reigning through righteousness through Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we pray that that unsaved friend here this evening, who so desperately needs to trust the Saviour, that they would yield to you, repent of their sin, call to you for salvation and forgiveness. Lord, you have spoken in your word as we have read it together. And I pray, Heavenly Father, for that defeated Christian who's in bondage to sin that they have allowed to come into their heart and life. Which has taken away their focus and their attention on you. May they find victory in Jesus Christ this evening we pray. Lord speak to all of our hearts. That we might do your will. For Jesus namesake we pray.